I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, James, we're in a hallway of the Leafs practice facility. Yeah, so if people hear, hear people walking around, that's why. I hear someone moaning in the background. There's like a therapy clinic around here, so that's part of the it's part of the show now for the Leaf Report podcast. Brought to you by Babsock Saki Hall of Fame. What else do you want to say? Let's go. Let's talk. Training camp's over, mercifully. Yeah, so that's what, so we'll use this podcast to kind of talk about the final cuts and then talk about kind of what is ahead. So let's start with the final cuts. Um, Justin Hall makes it. Garrett Sparks makes the team. Martin Marincin makes the team. Goat. Goat makes the team for now. What, if anything, surprised you, or did you, this kind of all proceed as you expected with Kyle Dubas being the GM? No, it surprised me. I mean, the piece I wrote before trying to anticipate what the cuts were going to be was basically like, well, Marincin probably won't make it, and Goat probably won't make it, and, and then that's what <laughs> that's what ended up happening. Um, the killer for them is that I didn't think this would happen either. They they. Cut the two goalies. I think they made the right decision on the goalies. They keep Sparks. Now there's no failsafe, though. Like, before it was always like, well, Sparks is the goalie, but if he has a really brutal first six weeks or two months or whatever, McElhaney can just come back. Or even Pickard can just come back because they're both, you know, capable NHL goalies. Carolina claims McElhaney because they've got the goalie injury. Philly claims uh, Calvin Pickard because they've got a goalie injury. All of a sudden, it's like... Not only do you not have a failsafe if Garrett Sparks doesn't work out, you don't have an AHL goalie, really. I mean, Kaskasu's 
probably okay, but he, you, you're going to need more than that. So, well, he has no experience, right? Like he he barely has played any AHL games. Like he was with the Chicago Wolves playing some of those games when they loaned him out, but I don't think his numbers were very good. Um, you weren't there when Babcock came out, but the very first thing he said, like before anyone asked a question or anything, was good for Mac, good for Pick. Bad, too bad for our depth or something like that. And he just he looked really he would have just found out because he came out at like twelve oh four. They would have just seen, and I'm sure he said, "Ah, oh, fuck, you know this is this is not what we wanted." Yeah. Well, so now early in the year, I think that management's going to have to try and find another goalie. I mean, or they're going to have to hope that that McElhaney or Pickard end up back on waivers when when those other teams get healthy. Well, it's not like that. There's nothing they could really do, right? Like you. You could have you expo- keep two goalies, right? So you could have exposed Sparks, and then you lose Sparks. And some like, people there's... are going to say they should have kept three, but that's BS. No one keeps three, and it doesn't work. You know, it's bad for the goalies, especially when you have young goalies involved. You can't keep three. You got to make a decision. So I guess the only thing you could do is you could look at the landscape and maybe say these teams need a goalie now. Maybe we'll keep an extra one just for now. I don't know. Yeah, you could wait a week. But then, like, you have to waive someone else. Then you have to waive Marincin, or you have to waive Gauthier. Yeah, but like, those guys aren't getting claimed. I don't think so, but I don't no know. No one's claiming Marincin. I don't think so either. Go, didn't go clear waivers last year? Didn't he yeah. Go? Yeah, so. And it's not like he, he had a worse year than the year before, so. But, you know, the thing with waivers is that it's not always a straight line. It's not always logical who gets claimed and who doesn't. And it's mm-hmm. like circumstances around the league and... I think, too, that the Leafs have more attention on them than most teams. So I think that around the league, everyone's paying attention to this. Like, we've been talking right about this backup goalie situation and who's going to get waived for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. If this was happening in Arizona or something, I don't think there would be nearly this much attention on it. Well, and, like, for these teams, like, it makes sense. Like, you and I both think Calvin Pickard can be a, a decent backup goalie. Curtis McElhaney, like, he, he didn't play a ton of games, but, like, you can't look at what he did the last couple of years and be like, meh, we couldn't use that guy as a backup. Um, there's just nothing they could do. And obviously this comes back to Garrett Sparks making the team. I think kind of the big takeaway from the cuts was that Kyle Dubas was the, had his fingers on the whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use. There was a lot of talk in the market, um, media and otherwise, that, you know, who's going to win in the battle of wills between Dubas and Babcock? I mean, it, the GM makes the decisions on, on the roster. And yeah, I, but like look back in past years, you could see more of an influence that Babcock got the guys yep. he wanted. And it was clear in some circumstances here that maybe he didn't get exactly what he wanted. Like that's only just us reading between the lines. Like it's clear he wanted Ojeganov on the team. Ojeganov was on the team. But like if he's choosing, um, I bet he... I don't know. I would bet he would want McElhaney over Sparks. So I don't know. Maybe Me that's too. Not, maybe that's wrong, but that's just the impression I got. Me too. And I think that that's because Babcock thinks in the here and now, and whereas yeah. Sparks is more of a long-term decision where potentially he could be something that's – that's if he, if he plays as well as he did in the HL and puts up big numbers, he can either be a trade asset or he can be something. Whereas mm-hmm. McElhaney and Pickard – I mean, they, I know they tried to trade Calvin Pickard. They were banging on teams' doors all – no one wanted them. So, I mean – if you can't get an asset for a guy, you well, can't. teams would know he's going to be on waivers. Why true. pay anything? Like that's I true. guess someone else can claim him. That's but true. You know you can get him for free, right? So I think they made the right decision, and I say that knowing full well that Sparks might fall on his face. I mean, it it, it could happen. But you know, like what's interesting is that I think people don't have 
a great handle on who Kyle Dubas is if they think that, like some people say, oh, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's not going to be able, how is he going to be able to, you know, hold up Babcock? And I mean, he's, in in my dealings with and understanding of Kyle Dubas, he's a very strong-willed person. I mean, just mm-hmm. because he's young and just because he hasn't been an NHL GM for, he's only been one for a few months, that doesn't mean he's going to back down from what he thinks is right for this team. Well, but it gets interesting when you get into situations where, like we've, we even saw it with Lula Morello, where Babcock won't play certain players who are on the roster. Like, um, do you know what I mean? Like, there, there were situations, whether it was Frankie Corrado, whether it was Josh Levo, like those guys were put on the roster and Babcock just wouldn't play it. Like, so there is some intrigue to see what happens in situations like that. Right. Well, I mean, you know, Justin Hall could, he could sit 60 games this year. Right. I'm, I'm working, I'm going to put out some over-unders in my piece that comes out this afternoon, and I think I've got Justin Hall at 30 games over-under, and it's it's a hard call whether he's even there. Like, he could be the Levo Corrado of this year, where it's right. a guy that the GM likes that the coach just doesn't have confidence in. And I didn't think Justin Hall played very well in the in the preseason, and his numbers weren't very good. And, and so what do you do in a situation like that? Like, if you're Kyle Dubas, if the guy you think can play doesn't get to play, I guess that that's good for them. That would mean Ojeganov is playing well, I would presume. Right. But, like, do you, do you think that, this is what I want, do you think Babcock in this situation is thinking, you know what, Kyle has done a really good job with the Marlies. He yeah. seems like a really bright guy. He did a good job with the Sioux. He's smart. Yes, he has different opinions than, than me, but let's see how it goes. I mean, all, the, these decisions that Dubas made are right on the fringe of the roster. Like, yes. we're talking about it a lot, but it's like, it's like who's the thirteenth forward? Who's the seven AD? Who's mm-hmm. the backup goalie? Like they don't. It doesn't really fucking matter that much. Like it's not like. Sure. So I wonder if Babcock's like, you know what? Like let's see if he's right. Well, and I, and I well, what about when it comes to more of the core of the roster? But I guess he hasn't had enough chance, or he's, there's no reason to kind of look at that right now. I guess when you look at like guys like. Tyler Ennis gets brought in. Parlintholm is obviously someone Babcock wanted. So I guess we haven't really seen if you look at that so clash at like a I was looking level. last night breaking down who's gone and who's coming in. And just like on a very like like the average age of the team came down based on the the guys coming in are younger. Mm-hmm. The guys coming in are better skaters. They're better with the puck. They're smaller. They don't hit. They they play a, a different game, and yes, it's a, again it's around kind of the fringes of the roster, other than Bozak and JVR, and I mean Polak played 19 minutes a game last year. Komarov yeah. played big minutes. Those four are probably the biggest changes um, systemically in what the team's going to look going to look like. So, and it's interesting, you know, I was talking to some of the the players today, and you know, Morgan Riley was saying their system is not fundamentally changing that much. It's going to change a little bit, but not not in a dramatic sense. So. Stylistically, this team is going to be different as a result of the players being different. Hmm. Well, the one thing that I think gets misinterpreted maybe with Mike Babcock, he's more open to change, I think, than is perceived. Not like super open, but I think if he looks at this and, and kind of sees, like you mentioned, what Dubas has done, the kind of teams he's built, where the league is trending, I'm not sure he can look at, even last year, when you replace Martin, you replace whoever, Levo, with Kapanen and Janssen. And the team, like, just got faster and was more skilled and they could roll four lines. And they just started tearing off wins, right? Right, like, it's hard for him to look at that and say, like, that didn't work. Winning 
trumps everything for Babcock. Yeah. Like, that's the thing we've learned covering him for, what is it, three and a half years or whatever. Like, that's all he cares about. He wants to win. And mm-hmm. that's why people say that he's old school or whatever. Like, I know for a fact he looks at all the analytics and he thinks some of them are bullshit and he thinks some of them are real. And mm-hmm. the ones he thinks are real that they incorporate and they use. Like, I can just, we're not in the meetings, but just like getting, the longer we're around them, getting a better handle on the coaching staff, I can see him and Jim Hiller and, and, uh, the other assistant coach, DJ Smith. DJ Smith. I always call him DJ King after that, the enforcer guy. DJ Smith. I could see them. They're sitting in a room after the game or on the plane or whatever, and they're probably just throwing shit around. And this guy's good, and this guy's not. Mm-hmm. And um, and they disagree a lot. And I think that that's good. And that's what one of the things Babcock says. And I don't think he's just making it up. That one of the reasons he wanted Jim Hiller on his team is because they had very different ideas about a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and that that made him a better coach and it made his teams better. And there's going to be a lot of that with Kyle Dubas involved. Well, so that was one of the things that, um, when I spoke to Kyle Dubas that I thought was interesting that he said is like he said um, he wants a coach who's not necessarily the same as him. Like he wants someone who maybe thinks a little bit differently, who sees the game a little bit differently. So they have kind of contrasting views and like you get all these different opinions, you get these different insights. And he also said, like, I understand that the coach's job and the way the coach thinks is I need to win today. And he's more thinking big picture and long term. It's like a really difficult balance, I think, for GM and coach. Yeah. But like going, so kind of going back to the cuts and, and what happened, Connor Carrick, obviously the, they were going to place him on waivers. And then by announcing that, they were able to trade him. So um, Babcock talked about Connor Carrick in the scrum today um, that you missed because you were talking to other players, which is probably a good idea because we don't need two people sitting in the scrum listening to him. But he said with Carrick that. He was going to be a 7 or 8. He wasn't going to play very much, and they didn't want to put him in that situation. So it's a different mindset than what Lou Lamorello used to do where, you know, Corrado and Holland and Levo are just sitting there kind of to rot as young players. Mm-hmm. Babcock said that, like, Carrick was going to make the team. They weren't. They didn't want to, like, waive him. They wanted to just give him another opportunity somewhere else. Interesting. That's what he said. So well, that is a Dubas thing. Yes. And, and, like, Carrick didn't play a lot last year. Carrick got scratched a whole bunch last right. year. Right. And they just said that if he's in the 7-8 situation, it's, like, not good for him, like, as a human being or a player, and he's not going to progress, and he's not going to, you know. So he gets an opportunity in Dallas. I think it's interesting in Dallas he goes there as a right D, and it looks like he's going to be in their top four. Like, it just shows. Hmm. I think they were hoping for more from Roman Polak, and I don't think he's – I haven't watched Dallas play in the preseason, but my understanding is reading Sean Shapiro, who writes about the stars down there, they're not super happy with him. Polak's going to start as a scratch, and Carrick's going to jump right into their top four. Interesting. That's actually the way it started with Polak under Babcock. Well, they've also got an injury there with, with Stephen Johns. Is, is hurt. So Well, it's funny. Like Carrick said his goal is to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. I just don't think he was ever... I don't know. Like I, I, In writing about this the cuts and the roster and everything like that the way I initially framed it and I wrote it in the story is like he was never able to kind of like dig himself out a role under Babcock and yet you can also make a case of your character that he never got those chances he like did he did the top four no he played with Gardner a lot not last year but the year before that's that's true that's that's a fair point. Um, he did, but it's not four minutes quite a bit. But it's not like he got a, a real chance to kill penalties. Like so, he didn't. He could never kind of figure out what his role was. Like well, he wasn't on either special teams. What was really eye opening for me was that series against Washington in the playoffs. And when they started getting defensemen injured, he, Babcock did not trust Connor Carrick. Never he did. did not no, the whole time. He just like when opportunity opened up, he did not want to give it to him. Mm-hmm. And 
I wonder, you know, with how willing it looked like Kyle Dubas was to give up on Connor Carrick and how little opportunity he got in camp, I wonder if there's something in the analytics and that, that they see in Carrick that they just don't feel that he can play against tougher competition. I mean, I'm sure they can slice up his ice time and, like, look at how he does against star players and look at how he does. Yeah. One of the things that Tyler Dello talks about all the time is that there's lots of third-pair defensemen that look pretty good with Corsi and that kind of stuff, but it's only because they're playing against really weak players. And mm-hmm. I wonder if potentially that's what they saw in Carrick, that he wasn't going to be a guy that was going to be able to play against better players. Well, that was one of the mistakes I made in just, like, using some of that those numbers is like, yes, his possession was, whatever, 50-something and looked really good, but he was used in the offensive zone all the time, never played against top two lines. So, like, you kind of have to, like, slice it up a little bit differently. Like, you look at Ron Hainsey's possession numbers. He's going against really good players every shift in D zone. Like, so his his course, he, we have to look at it differently than we look at Carrick. And I think from talking to Babcock just around the rink, that's one of the things that, he believes and like that's one of the things I think we miss so well Tyler Dello did you see that he gave me some numbers for a piece I did midway through last season comparing Carrick and Polak because they were kind yeah, of coming I in. remember and they were very close they were very similar if you pull yeah. out the zone start and kind of the usage yeah. all of a sudden Polak came right up close to Carrick and then so th- that's what Babcock is seeing but I do think it is interesting like going back to Dubis he is this is where you can kind of like on the fringes of the roster is you can bring in guys who kind of fit the way you want to play uh, more. So instead of having Polak or bringing Polak back, you don't. You let him go to Dallas and then you let Camp play out and you put Justin Hall on the team. Do you know what I mean? Like so now like Justin Hall and Roman Polak are like polar opposites. But now like you've got someone who kind of fits more the, the style of team you want. Yeah. Yeah, and like in talking to some of the defensemen today, it's it sounds like a real focus for this team is going to be how they move the puck out of the D zone and move it quickly. And um, it was interesting, even in camp. You know, I was talking to uh, Adam Cracknell, who who obviously didn't make the Leafs, but he was saying he, it was a really hard adjustment for him in the system that the Leafs play in their own end as the centerman. He said that there's a he said that it felt like there was a really big burden placed on the centerman on, on the, this Leafs team compared to what he was used to mm-hmm. in that you had to handle the puck all the time coming out of the D zone. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some different looks in terms of how how they play in their own end and how they move the puck. And I think having John Tavares as one of your three centers is one reason why they're going to focus more on the centerman being more important in their own end. Well, so I don't know if you feel the same way, but, like, seeing him around the rink, seeing him in their dressing room, it still feels really weird that he's on the Leafs. Oh, that's what I said yesterday at practice. It's bizarre. I, I said it was like when one of the Sesame Street characters goes on the Muppet Show. You remember that? Yeah, I remember you saying that, but I never <laughs> I never watched the Muppet Show, so, like, I don't It's like when Big Bird shows up in the Muppet Show. I was like, that's not the right... It's like he's in the yeah. wrong uniform in the wrong scenery or something. It's... He's always been. We've always seen him on like Team Canada or on the Islanders yeah. or like the Oshawa Generals or like the All Star Game or we've never seen him. I don't know. He and his like personality is just. It's just going to take a while for it to feel like. It's going to take thirty games before it feels like he's part of the team. Well, so I was just thinking like if I feel like that and you feel like that, imagine like how weird this is for him. Like it must be weird for him to like put on a sweater and there's a leaf and like he. He plays in Toronto. He lives at home. Like, his family's right there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But going back... It's like when you change jobs. Like, when I left the Globe and Mail... But on a way bigger level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that as a human being, like, he was in the Islanders nine years, right? Like, it's... 
See, from when know, he's like a kid, from when he's nineteen. All of a sudden, I remember being so thrown off the first few months. It's like, yeah, like everything was different. Everything. I mean, like you're still writing about hockey, but you know who you report to and what your job is, and everything is. So I mean, I mean, his job is still the same in that he's playing hockey, but everything else is different. And he's a really quiet presence. Like you don't, yeah. you don't know. Very most. kind of understated. Um, yeah. He, like he kind of blends in. In, in a sense, but he doesn't because you know who he is. Like, he's such an iconic... He's one of the most famous players in the league. Yeah. So. But it is interesting, like, it, it, in that you mentioned that. Like, he is... He's a star, and yet he kind of carries himself more like... Patrick Marlowe's a star, too, but, like, he's more on that scale than, like, these young guys who are just, like, kind of outgoing and bold and, like... I thought the media attention around Tavares would be more omnipresent and more demanding but he's just kind of like oh man he's gotten it every day but he's just very but he's like long, crosby no not... but like he's like crosby he knows exactly how to do it he doesn't say a ton like right. he speaks a lot but like but it feels like that he the attention has backed off him a little bit yeah like it, maybe oh the other thing that helps him too is they have a whole bunch of stars right like people yeah. people want to talk to kadri people want to talk to riley people want to talk to matthews every day people want to talk to anderson and mm-hmm. uh marner and well, when I first started covering the team, I'm sure you found it the same way. Like there was, it was like a big deal when when Sundin spoke, but like everybody else, it was kind of like, eh, like I could miss that. But like now, it's like you mentioned, there's so many interesting. I guess it's what happens when you have a really good team; it changes. Um, but speaking of Tavares, um, and you mentioned the impact that he potentially has. You and I were just kind of looking at like lineups from last year and looking at kind of the way they stack up now. That alone, like we've talked about it a bit, but like that alone, you wonder what their potential is for this year. If they had 105 points last year, set franchise records and points and wins, they had Matthews miss 20 games. You know, now you're taking Bozak and you're replacing him with Tavares. Like, where do you think the potential is for them this year? I'm being kind of conservative when I'm trying to project. I, so I'm projecting 109 points. Obviously, it's possible that they get 118 or whatever, but. I mean, it's also possible that there's not this huge leap forward from this team. I mean, it's the roster isn't that much different. That's not totally true. The roster is different. The like the okay, parts let's, of let's, the roster that matter are not that remarkably different. Well, and you can't obviously forecast for injuries, but like they didn't have Matthews for 20 games last year. If he plays 80 this year, like that is 20 games where you're not using whomever at center, Marlowe or Nylander, you know what I mean? I mean, like, on paper, they should be a top-five team easily, and a top-five team is... Well, they were seven last year, I think, right? They're, yeah, they're tied for six with Washington. So, I mean, they were already one of the best teams in the league last year. So, I'm just hesitant to project them to be way, way, way better than last year. Okay, well, let's look at the reasons why they're going to be way, way better, and then let's look at the reasons why they maybe won't be as good as we think. So the reason that they'll be better is presumably they're going to be able to score more. You add Tavares, um, Matthews, let's assume he plays full year. Um, you have Janssen. So they had, three point, Ennis. they had 3.3 goals per game last year. You know the last time that the Leafs have scored that many goals as an organization? I think it was 94. So it's like going back to when it was like a much a much higher scoring league. Hmm. So if we think they're going to score even more than 3.3, which I think makes sense based on who they have on their roster, 
that's going to be one of the highest scoring teams in Leafs history, especially relative to the league. Like, well, think about like their power play obviously scored a really high clip last year. We can see it being better this yeah. year. That means they're going to score more goals. So I looked at the, I mean, obviously preseason such a small sample, so this is kind of stupid to do, but I just looked at like the per 60 goal scoring rates on the power play in preseason. And with that top unit on the ice, it was like 20 goals per 20, for 60 minutes or something. Like they were scoring every three minutes. Like not that they're, they're not going to obviously be able to do that, but. There's indications that their power play is going to be the best in the league. It was second best last year and hmm. just really, really dynamic. And I'm trying to think, like, I wonder if the second unit holds them back. But you look around the league and a lot of teams use that top unit for a minute 20 or a minute 30. And Well, and it's not like they don't have any talent on that second no. unit. Like, that, ne- that second under. unit will be Nealander-centric. Gardner. Um, Gardner Marlowe can obviously score. Janssen was really good in the slot area last year. The other thing, too, is that a lot of power plays are, like, systemic. And, like, I'm sure Jim Hiller, who's obviously proven his worth as a very good power play guy, is going to come up with some sort of kind of system for that second unit that's going to work. So, Well, but so, like, you look at the way that they'll – the ways that they'll be able to score more. You will have Mitch Marner, who is, like, a top tennis producer in the NHL and from January something on, now playing with John Tavares. That's – a threat, a, a bigger threat to score. You'll have Kadri playing against, on the road at least, lighter competition. You'll have Matthews or Tavares, one of those guys playing against lighter competition. Like, there's just way more opportunity for them to be a higher scoring team than last year when they were already one of the higher scoring teams. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, but I, can you outscore your, your problems, I guess? I guess you can. Yeah, I think you can, for yeah. sure. In the regulars. And it doesn't really feel like they're going to give up more goals than last year. I mean, the only way that would happen is either Anderson gets hurt or has a really poor season. Well, so let's let's kind of look at ways that maybe they don't exceed the expectations that we have. Um, Anderson, an injury would hurt. Obviously, we talked about the goaltending situation. If if now there's injuries and in goal, that would be disastrous. Is that they lose all of their goalie depth? Anderson gets hurt, and then you know it would all be on Sparks to carry the load. They're not. Um, they're still not deep down the middle. If they had an injury to one of those top three centers, that would be something that would hurt them and hurt their potential for. You know, improving on 105 points. Um, the D, you know, when we look at the right side, very of the similar D, to last year. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually a lot of the same problems. And you wonder, like, one of the things that stood out in the second half last year is you could tell that Ron Hainsey was kind of old. Well, he's old and like wearing under the strain of playing really hard minutes and big minutes. You wonder if that's going to happen this year, and like he's a year older, and like another guy, Nikita Zaitsev. We don't know what what he's going to do this year. So, like, there are still those question marks, I guess, the same as last year. I guess it's fair to say that Zaitsev may potentially have a much better year because, obviously, he had the injury, and he had, he, he had a really bad year last year. I mean, it's... The only distressing part that I would think for them is the numbers were really bad before he got hurt. Right. The other thing, too, is that Dermot only played 37 regular season games last year. The guy that got most on the left side on that third pair, they got most of the games that wasn't Dermot was Andres Borgman, mm-hmm. who was okay. But they didn't want to play him in very many minutes. Like, he was only playing 13 or 14 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. If if that third pair is one you feel more comfortable relying on at even strength, maybe they can dial back the minutes of some of these guys on the top pairs. Well, and, and like we saw with, with Dermot, I think he had like 12 or 13 points in 30-some-odd games. Yes. He drives your offense a little bit more. He's more of a creator than Boardman. Right. So maybe that helps. He know. was part of that transformation of the team over the last 30-some games of the year where they were much more harder to, to contain offensively. Anything else kind of come to mind for you? I'm trying to think beyond injuries at center, goaltending. 
I think that the expectations are that they're going to have more than 105 points, and that if if they don't have more than 105 points, it's going to be a disappointing year, and that's that's a pretty high bar to go into the year with. Well, but like it's all going to, like they could get 103 points, and and if they go to the conference finals, no one's going to care about the regular season. It's all actually you were you were we were talking about like what's going on and what stories we're going to write, and you mentioned like the regular season almost doesn't really matter no. for this team which well, is a pre-season change from and a training long camp didn't matter at all like we're sitting here for like 3 weeks and like yeah well it's actually it's funny there's going to be a lot of regular season games that don't matter a lot well, like these the first two look what happened like in the second half last year like the second half generally like we we knew where they were going to be and it just kind of lost its intrigue but we it's going to some of those trips and it's like yeah this doesn't matter but so it's going to come down to the playoffs so a successful year for them Let's say they only win a round. Successful year? I think it has to be, doesn't it? Like, because they haven't won a round. Or does it feel like when a team has cup expectations, if you only get out of the first round? I think, like, like if you want to, if we're just doing pass-fail, successful or not, they got to, I think, go win two rounds and have a good regular season, look better defensively. Like, I think that, I think that how the team plays, like, do they look like a contending team? Do they look like a team that can win the Stanley Cup? If they lose in the second round, but they push Tampa to seven games and Tampa wins the cup, okay, they're pretty close. They gotta, they gotta look yeah. close. They gotta look, they gotta look like a Stanley Cup contender. I think that's probably fair. Well, and I think you know, with with Kyle Dubas in charge, if they get to a point in January where they look at that top four in defense and there's a problem, maybe he can be more creative and in, in going to get someone who addresses that. I name. was looking; this didn't get talked about at all. But Carrick was, I think, he was making one point three. Like yeah. it freed up even more cap space. Like they they have a lot of cap space to to work with. You know, it went from even if you take the bonuses off and you take what William Nylander's going to get off, they've still got, I think close to four million dollars and that's only going to grow as the season goes on so hmm. they're going to have a lot of room they could bring in a star player at midseason or at the trade deadline obviously well so we let's close on on william nealander podcast is always brought to you by saki hall of fame get your subscription fairs call it a subscription right thank you to everyone that's donated to the patreon as well so it's been surprising that if people have been contributing so the more people that do that, the more podcasts we're going to do. And if I think we're like 30% of the way to our goal to make it a weekly podcast, and we're 15% of the way to our goal to make it more than weekly and have guests on regularly. So if people are people are are, uh, are donating, and it's going to force us to make the podcast a much bigger priority this year. Well, very soon um, we will try our new setup. Right. Um, We're working on a way that we can record remotely, and that will enable us to do a lot more podcasts. So, but we want to do it with high quality audio because we've done it in the past where it doesn't sound good, and it's just it's not it's not good enough. So, so. get your Saki Hall of Fame socks; they're very cool. If you did you buy some yet? No, I'm gonna. I told you I'm gonna get them for my brother. Maybe I'll get myself a. Did you see he's a Detroit fan? No, he lives in London, so Detroit oh, okay. is closer. So like. I don't know how people get tickets to the Leafs. It's insanely expensive. Yes, I knew that. I knew that as a cut, but like when you actually look at it, it's crazy. They don't go to the Leafs. That's the like. That's one of the things I didn't like when I moved here. It's like, man, regular fans can't go to games. Whereas when growing up in Canada, like we could actually go to a Canucks game. Like it, it was expensive, but it wasn't like it wasn't like here. That kind of sucks. It does suck. I knew the concept, but like when you actually go look, and two shitty seats cost five hundred dollars, like that. That's no, like if I want to, if it, let's say my son who's three grows up to be a Leafs fan and he's like seven and for his birthday he wants to go to a game, 
can we go? I mean, not really. Yeah. Like, do you want to... Do you want to spend $700? You know what the answer know. is? And I've, I've said this for like 10 years. You know what the answer is? There should be another NHL team in Toronto. There 100% should be. There should be like... Like, the Leafs just have a monopoly on it. And they can just charge more and more. And the other thing is that the Leafs should get a new building that's bigger. Give the ACC or the SBA or what, what are we going to call it? What do you want to call SBA. it? SBA. You like SBA? Yeah, it's all right. I don't like giving them free shout-outs. Who? Any of the sponsors. Oh, the banks and whatever? Yeah. yeah the only yeah. shout-outs for sponsors are ones that sponsor the podcast. <laughs> no one else is getting any. So MasterCard, if you're listening, that would be great. They should give the, the SBA to this other team and build, like, a giant Leafs arena that's, like, 28,000 seats. and hmm. There's just too much demand for tickets. That's why they're so expensive. Yeah, so anyway, maybe I'll get him uh, Socky Hall of Fame socks uh, and tickets to Detroit because... Apparently the new building's amazing in Detroit. It I, is. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. But so anyway, let's close the podcast, talk a little bit about Neilander. It is uh, – I did Scotty Mack's show in, like, August, and he's like, are you concerned today that the Leafs, you know, haven't signed Neilander? Like, when will your concern be? And I was like, nah, it doesn't matter. Now we're, like, right no, before the season. But now, like, even still, like, I can't wrap my head around the fact that it's a huge deal if he misses a game, two games, three games. Like, they're going to get a contract done. I guess it, the only thing is, like, what it's going to look like, how long it's going to be, and then... The other happens. thing, too, is, like, does he start the season really slow because he hasn't been part of camp and preseason? Like, does it matter? But in the end, does it... Right. Does it, like, does it even matter? I don't no. know that it even matters. No. That's a... Yeah, the Leafs are in a fortunate position where, like, making the playoffs is pretty much a given in their division and with how good they are, so... Hmm. It's... The, the other interesting thing, too, is that the longer it goes, it's actually better for the Leafs cap-wise, as long as they get them to, on the same dollar figure. Well, so explain that, because they do get it's savings. very complicated. If you sign a player after the season starts, that first year of the contract is a higher cap hit, and then the subsequent years are lower. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It's, it's complicated why that is. I guess because you're playing fewer games for more dollars. Anyway. I haven't looked at it that closely, but I, all I know is that... So the Leafs are in a position where, as we said, they have lots of cap space. If Nealander is going to cost them an extra half million this year and then be cheaper for every other year of the deal, mm-hmm. that's good for Toronto. Well, so you have in your over-unders, and, and check James' story out at The Athletic, uh, $6.5 million as the cap hit. Uh, over-under. I, well, I'm going to say under at this point. I think they're squeezing him so hard that I don't know. I mean, Gaudreau got 6.75, but... I'm going to say over. Yeah. And the reason I... I, I Let's I'm say six say years. Over. I don't think it's going to be eight. I don't think it's going to be eight. I Let's say six years. I think six by 6.4 or something is where he's going to get stuck. I think it'll be right around Pasternak. And I think... And maybe I'm misinterpreting this or believing more what Kyle Dubas says. But like one of the things he told me is like he wants it to be a situation where the player looks back a year from now and feels like it's fair. And like you don't want to like get to a situation where the guy's looking back and being like, man, that sucks that I... Yeah. I took that much, and then he's unhappy. And like, well, if Matthews gets twelve, and Nealander's at six three or something. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, I, I was thinking, looking at Kadri today in the dressing room, what he feel, how he feels about huh. his deal. Like when Kadri's deal is up, whenever that is, I'm sure he's going to be looking for a much bigger number. Yeah. All right. Let's close with that. We will be back next week after a couple. Actually, no. Actually, yeah, we will be back next week, but it'll be a road edition because I will be in Dallas or. Detroit or one of those cities because the Leafs after they play their first two games uh, against Montreal and Ottawa go on the road for four games and then they'll be back at home against LA. So James 
Our next podcast will be a road edition. Soggy Hall of Fame, Bab Sox, check all that stuff out. Um, and thank you uh, if you donated on the Patreon account. And if not, we appreciate uh, you guys listening. Thanks. Thanks.